You're listening to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. I'm Gandalf. I'm Matt. And I'm Nathan Van Horn. The Bible is the most read book ever, but to some, it is merely fiction. Join our conversations as we connect the dots to reveal that the story of the Bible is not only true, it's better than fiction. To learn more about the show or to contact us directly, visit us online at www.betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com. Welcome back, listener, to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast, episode 75. Um, I actually had it recently pointed out to me by a listener that I always say, welcome back to episode, and then I say the name of the episode. But that's not factually correct, because you can't. I can't be welcoming you back to episode 75. This is the first time you've ever heard episode 75. Mm. But what I can do is welcome you back to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. And before we get started, I can remind you that if you are not subscribed on whatever platform you choose to listen to us, go ahead and do that. That's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, whatever platform you choose. Like, check mark, heart button, plus sign, thumbs up, whatever that looks like. Go ahead and do that so you can get a notification every Tuesday morning when we release a new episode. And if you are one of our Facebook p- podcast people, uh, I regret to inform you that Facebook sent me a email yesterday saying that they would be shutting down Facebook podcasts. Mm. Um, I didn't even know that was the thing. Oh yeah. Well, remember when you took like a month off? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Matt, one of the the episodes where you weren't, you weren't here, we found out that there was like an entire community of Facebook people listening and they were commenting and liking. Well, it was auto posting from the, from the site, right? Yeah. Seemingly without our consent. Like I didn't sign off on this. And it's funny because it, it, it came without warning. And now as quickly as it came, it is gone somewhere. <laughs> you, did not, yeah. It just did not last. Facebook Speaking people. of things not lasting on the one hand, we are super surprised that here we are 75 episodes in because I, I, I never thought we'd make it past like three episodes. Um, yeah. on the other hand, bad news listeners peek behind the curtain. This was almost the last episode of the Better Than Fiction Bible ah, oh yeah. podcast. It almost all ended today. Because both of my co-laborers have gravely offended me today. Uh, on two on two different issues, not the same thing. Not the same thing. <laughs> oh, well, I, I was going to say, what did Matt do? I, yeah, what I did I, I do? do? I well, know what Gandalf did. Matt got Matt got all preachy about people who like buy books and start books, but don't always finish them. Oh, well, I was um, talking about myself, though. And I'm just, oh, I know, I know, I know you were. <laughs> I know you were. But it was, it was one of those... And they wanted to seize him because they realized he told this parable against them, but they feared the crowds. <laughs> they, they hated Jesus because he told the truth. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, if you look at the first 50% of any book I own, then I've read a lot of books. <laughs> Every time well, hey, somebody you know comes what? into my office, they say, wow, have you read all these? And I always say, uh, most of these are reference material. That's a good one. That means no. I, I, I say some of them, and I, I yeah. don't clarify whether some of them refers to I've read some of the books or I've read some of all of the books. Um, <laughs> well, you know what, Nathan? Apple counts a dedicated listener as someone who listens to at least 40% oh, of the Oh, man. Well, in that you case, I'm a, dedica- I'm a dedicated reader. You just redeem me. And by the uh, way, if you're ever on a Zoom call and you're a pastor, it is perfect form, good form. To make sure you're sitting in front of the books on your library shelf. Absolutely. Oh, nice. Absolutely. Good form. Good form. Ah, good right, f- so oh, speaking that, that brings oh, wait, to we, we can't go there yet. Abomination number two. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. 
Because what Gandalf did was way worse. Gandalf tried agree. to ruin my childhood. I, I will agree. This is an abomination. It's almost like um, podcast ending. Yeah, it's it's a Pelagian level heresy. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's right. Gandalf, you, would you, you know you know how they you know how they stopped up their ears and then like rushed Stephen when he they didn't like what he what he said. That's how I I feel right now. Oh, you guys, you guys just don't like it because I'm spitting true facts here. Mm. Gandalf, don't, <laughs> dude. We just we just made peace before we hit record. <laughs> let's, let's, let's not go back there. You got to remember, brother. You got to remember. I've spent a good portion of my life in Louisiana. I am never, <laughs> I am never far away from. <laughs> that means he's unpredictable. Um, L- listen, listener, I have a challenge for you. I want you to go to our website, betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com. On the front page, you're going to see a form that you can fill out that goes directly to us so that we can see. Normally, I'm asking you for you know stories about you listening to the podcast, questions, comments. Are you going to put a poll on the website? But, yeah, but today I'd like you to send me yes. your answer to this question. Yes. Is Steven Spielberg's Hook a good movie? That's my question to you. It's a great movie. Um, you can, you can yeah, I don't feel be like, like these two who think that it's a great movie, or you can be like me, uh, clothed in the veil of truth mm. and say, it's not a good movie. In fact, it's probably Steven Spielberg's worst movie. Gosh, stop it. Uh, just stop it. This, I feel like you're mm. trying to be deliberately offensive at this point. Yeah. I feel like you're not just taking a stand. I can't be the only one hearing this. Uh, yes. <laughs> Yeah. So, so what you're saying, so what you're saying as a matter of good form, you're going to take an internet poll. There it is. There you go. Good form. (laughs) The reoccurring line in the movie. All right. I'm going to leave it on you to set, to somehow segue this into today's podcast because I got nothing. I don't know. Well, Well, uh, it's a very quotable movie. There's so many. And it's, it's also Nathan and I, this was one of our childhood movies. I love the story of Peter Pan. It's one of the top books for me. Yeah. Cause you grow up watching that the cartoon version. And then they oh. came out with hook. I mean, we still lived in new Orleans. I remember the first time I watched it. I remember where I was like, it was just one of those yep. vivid, vivid Me memories. Too. And I just, I couldn't articulate this as a child, but it's like all the things you think about when you think about Neverland, except for they left out, you know, the whole tiger lily thing. Um, mm-hmm. but all the things you think about as a kid, when you're watching the cartoon, Peter Pan, you see like this real life screenplay adaptation. And they nailed it. Like, and to put this in perspective, I have not seen a single live action Disney adaptation of a Disney cartoon in the modern era that has satisfied me. They've all disappointed me. Lion King, Beauty and the Beast. That's maybe a different argument for a different day. But like, this is. I like how you called Lion King a live action adaptation. You, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about, right? Not live action, but like, you know. Yeah, I know what you're talking um, about. And I agree with you for the most part. Um, except for Hook, apparently. Um, but right. like, this is 30 years before that trend was popular and you went from cartoon to actual movie. And Gandalf, I thought about finding Neverland. They nailed like it. One? Oh, I love that too. Um, I've seen that one, but I don't have, be careful. Cause you're like, we're right on the fence with your response to hook. I, I don't have many memories of it though. I know I've seen it, but you know, I, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm just going to pray that you find joy. This may not even be your fault. This, this could be, <laughs> I'm just going to pray you find joy. So, all right. In this all movie, right. Hook, there is. Okay, there I'm just going to say, you're never finding Neverland with that attitude, friend. <laughs> you are okay. not. You need to get so, your happy thought. Let let's let's talk about something we can all relate to because we think about Peter Pan, we think about childhood. Uh, I think we all have childhood memories. 
of things that have happened in our lives, whether it be movies we saw or events we experienced, that we remember them differently. We remember them based on our experience as a child, uh, based and not as, you know, we experience them now as adults. For example, I can think about a room that my family would meet in, in my great grandmother's house that we would all come together for Christmas on Christmas Eve. And then there was a dining room table in the room next door in the dining room. Those room, that room was just massive. And that dining room table was enormous. But you know what? I can go to that room today and it's actually not that big. It's actually mm. kind of small. Oh, so you remember something one way when you're a child and then you come back as a fully formed adult and it's underwhelming? Uh, or just not underwhelming, but just wondering what I was seeing then. Yeah, because so that, that reminds me of a line from a much beloved, critically acclaimed film. Oh, it's Hook. It's Hook. Oh, yeah. And uh, toward the end of the movie, I was confused because Hook is not a critically acclaimed film. You are so, you are speaking. so lucky. I don't edit these episodes. <laughs> I have, I have no idea what you're going to do to me in the end matter of this episode. I'm just saying, you are so lucky that it's not me. You're so lucky that it's not me because I would mm -hmm. I don't I would just get off. You stop. Mm. Just I, I, I'm, I'm, here, here's anyway. what I'm going to say. Here's what I'm going to say. Just as Wendy Darling said to Peter in the movie. When he'd grown up and become a man, she said, Peter, you've become a pirate. Gandalf, mm. you've become a pirate. I'm Yahtzee, just saying. in your face. Why don't you pray about that? Um, anyway, but there's a scene toward the end of the movie where uh, Robin Williams uh, is kind of a grown-up Peter Pan, and he kind of rediscovers uh, what it means to be Peter Pan. That's part of the big arc of the movie. And he's you know having a duel with Captain Hook. And as they're fighting, Captain Hook is kind of underwhelming him in, in the fighting. And he goes, I remember you being a lot bigger. And Captain Hook says, you remember what he says? To a 10-year-old, I'm huge. And it's, that's, that's right. kind of the dynamic we're talking about. Uh, but here's my question. What in the world does that have to do with Genesis 15? Well, let's find out. To a 10-year-old, I'm huge. Uh, Gandalf has to read today. Yeah. Gandalf, why don't you read uh, verse 13 through the end of the chapter? And when you get to verse number 19, we'll just do a tag and let Nathan read verse 19 and 20. All right. I like this. This pleases me. This is Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 13, as always from the ESV. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. The land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Well Thank done, you, Nathan. By your powers combined. <laughs> <laughs> we have the power. That's right. You know, it's, it's amazing that I still haven't memorized this, even though this is the ninth episode that takes place in Genesis. Well, that's, so, someone asked me about that, and I was like, well, the only reason we're taking so long here is like, 
you know, I spent so long researching uh, in these chapters for dissertation, and I've I've really have nothing to contribute uh, <laughs> after we're done with Abraham. So I'm really kind of like taking my time and enjoying the moment. So, <laughs> to a ten year old, I'm huge. What are we getting at here? Well, yeah. Well, last week we talked about how uh, biblically time does not always work the way we want it to or think it does. And the same is true with space biblically, right? Mm. Um, yep. And uh, uh, Matt, you were, I mean, man, you you said something I'd never considered a few weeks ago, and I don't want to do a spoiler alert on that. But uh, we were just talking about the geographical boundaries that God outlines for the land of promise mm-hmm. um, and how that compares with what the people, you know, actually inhabit later in the Old possess. Testament. Yeah. Yeah. The greatest extent of the occupation of land for the Israelites was under the rule of Solomon. Um, in verse number 18, though, when he says to your offspring, I give this land from the richer, the richer, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the so river that's, Euphrates. That's Nile to the Euphrates. Yeah. I, I looked up on some of this, uh, Kidner and Matthews both say that this is likely a reference to part of the Nile Delta rather than the Nile proper, like, uh, probably something closer to Sinai, but still, nonetheless, it's encompassing all of Sinai all the way to Euphrates, which Euphrates is Babylon. I mean, that's, that's a huge section of territory. And it, and it begs, it begs the question of. When exactly did Israel inhabit that much land? Oh, man. Okay. Oh, yeah. time out. I'm thinking. Is that making sense, Gandalf? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they never p- possessed it. But thinking polemic here, since Genesis 1, we've been talking about who are the two massive worldviews and pantheons that Moses has been interacting with since ding, the beginning. Ding, ding, ding. Babylon I and just Egypt. thought about this. Yeah. Babylon and um, Egypt. And guess what? Uh, Israel is going to occupy the land between both of them. Uh, and, and by, mm. and by the way, let's not, uh, leave the Amorites too soon. Um, oh, yeah. you know, uh, because they're the Amorites are, we, we think so much and understandably because of the Exodus, because of the slavery thing, we think so much in terms of the borderlands, right? The Egypt on the West and Babylon on the East. But the Amorites are the, are the power right in the middle. It's interesting, not only here, uh, again, uh, to, to our point last week, God did not let, uh, seemingly did not let their suffering as slaves go on for many generations. He responded to it within that generation. So what's the right. only other thing God could be waiting on? Go yeah, ahead, the iniquity of the Amorites. The iniquity of right. the Amorites. And, so, and he, this is interesting because when they come into the land, and we're going to look at one more text after this, when they come into the land, it's not only the Egyptians who are mentioned. Uh, this is Rahab in chapter two, verses 10 and 11. She says, for we heard how the Lord dried the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. There's the Egyptians and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites. There's the iniquities of the Amorites who are beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. Here's the really interesting thing about that. God never let off with violence against Egypt. He said, let my people go. It was the Egypt's response that was kind of like the crowning offense of Egypt was the way they responded to God wanting to set his people free that incurred uh, the plagues and all that followed from that. So God didn't lead off with that. 
But the interesting thing, Matt and I were talking about this uh, the other day, the same is true of the Amorites. So in Genesis mm. 15, God says, I'm going to wait for the sins of the Amorites. In other words, I'm not going to dispossess them for no reason. My, my promise is, is tied hand in hand to the way that they're going to interact with me in real time. Uh, and, uh, Matt, we were talking about this. What is Israel's initial attempt, uh, in relating to the Amorites when they're coming out of Egypt and going through the wilderness? Is it Deuteronomy in that Deuteronomy three, uh, where they, they ask to pass through the Amorite lands and they tell King Sahon, Moses tells him, Hey, look, let us pass through and we won't bother you on our way through. And Sahon, instead of letting them pass through, musters his army and then fights against Moses and the children of Israel. And then after that, Og it's, yeah, it's Deuteronomy two and three. Yeah. Yeah. Two and three. So. What's, what's interesting is, but they let off with peace. They let off. They were yeah. going to pass through. Oh gosh. That is so it's, that's, are you catching that a key Gandalf? point, Nathan? So, so, so I mean, it's so Pharaoh could have avoided a whole lot of trouble if he had just let them go, but not, not just Pharaoh, the Amorites not too. Just Pharaoh, again, but the whole the way, same thing with the Amorites. Yeah. The whole way God frames it to Abraham is the, the sins of the Amorites are not yet complete. What's the last thing that the Amorites do? hundreds of years later that finally incurs God's wrath and judgment. Uh, they, they go back on their deal to let them pass through. Yeah. They don't let them pass through. They try to make war on God's people as he's delivering them. So again, right. a lot of times you hear the conquest you know, presented as God rushing to be genocidal or whatever, that just doesn't really track with the narrative as we have it. And um, there was God, no, God's like, trying, hey, God's trying to spare them. We're going to yeah. dispossess you. It is. They were only dispossessed when they refused the peaceful offer of uh -huh. just passing through. Um, this wasn't like, hey, you can let us have the land or die. This was, can we just walk through and not be bothered? It's, it's just so interesting how those parallels, and I think that's a great catch, Nathan. Um, uh, well, it was, the one, it was the one thing I was thinking about uh, from last week that I, I wish we'd said more overtly. But, but again, I don't want to digress too much. Back to the main point of even when they do come into the land, the land that they inhabit does not seem to match with the parameters of the land that God describes in his promise to Abraham in Genesis 15. So I want to speak to that. I want to speak to that because Gandalf opened this podcast by talking about, you know, welcome back listener to the podcast number so-and-so, and it doesn't really make sense because how can you use those, you know, how can you use that kind of description to something that is brand new to us? Well, Sometimes in the Bible, especially revealed in verb tenses, what God says and what the prophets say, being the voice of God, don't exactly line up with the time and flow of what you're reading. And that's actually found in verse 18. Um, so when it says on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your offspring, the ESV says, I give this land, uh, that's I give that would be reading as present tense to but, your offspring. I give this land, but it's not present tense. Yeah. That's interpreted in the Hebrew. Yeah. And in, in Hebrew, there's a perfect verb there. Perfect verb, which actually has the same meaning of Nathan's name. Um, the perfect verb, the more, you know, sorry, that's right. Is a better rendering of this was to your offspring. I have given it's done. It's finished. Not this is going to happen. It is a done deal to your offspring. I already have given this land. 
from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cabanites, Hittites, the Perizzites, Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. There's so much there because I want to focus in on the final group of people mentioned in verse 21. Who is that, Gandalf? Verse 21. Verse 21. Who's the final the, people? The Jebusites. Who are the Jebusites and what do they occupy? Do you remember? I don't know. I don't know. Jerusalem. Occupy oh, Jerusalem. Right. We, we talked about that. So I want us to think about big picture stuff. Who this takes whole Jerusalem? Story, yeah. This whole story heads. This whole story heads and ultimately culminates in Revelation 20 through 22 about a new Jerusalem with borders that are much, much larger than the actual Jerusalem, much well, and, larger and, and, than and the actual out, kingdom of Israel. And don't, and don't skip the, don't skip the step because for them, you know, they inhabit the land, but it's not until the time of David that That's the right. kingdom is really established as the kingdom. David, Saul never manages to unify all the 12 tribes as one kingdom. David does that. It takes him seven, his first seven years uh, as king to do that. And part of the end of that is driving the Jebusites out of Jerusalem. Right, right, and but even under Hebron. but even under David, it's still not what it was described as as to Abraham. To your mm. point, you don't see that until, like you're saying, uh, later on in Revelation. So there's a there's a couple more things I want to throw in here because uh, God forbid we talk about giants and I not open my mouth. Uh, so <laughs> the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Amorite kings of Bashan, called the uh, uh, Og, and then Sahon the Amorite king, uh, both of those men, or actually, I don't know about Sahon. I can't remember off the top of my head, but uh, Deuteronomy 3 calls Og a direct descendant of the Rephaim, and he had the, you know, 13 and a half foot sarcophagus, and it was nine feet wide and stuff like well, that. Well, so that's, that's what's interesting man. is Sahon is the Amorite king, and Og is the one who's more closely associated with the Rephaim. Correct. Uh so, but there is, there's affiliation between the Rephaim and the Amorites and no wonder, for instance, uh, and that's still going back to all the stuff from the Ark Genesis. that's still going to the stuff from Babel, right? That's right. But no uh, wonder Rahab there in Jericho, they are afraid, uh, because they're, they're behind their walls in Jericho to keep, you know, these giants out and they're afraid of these men and Israel they conquer the giants. And by Israel, the way, I, yeah. Yeah. I highlighted this irony in Bible study last night. Uh, Israel was afraid to go into the gener uh, into the wilderness, uh, into the land of promise a generation ago, precisely because of these big figures. Right. Right. And meanwhile, the pe people of Jericho are terrified, man, look what they did to Sihon and Og. <laughs> There's no Isn't way we can stop them if they come into the land. Right. They wiped out uh, the giants. Well, um, so, so yeah. There's just, there's so many things that are happening here. So there is a huge debate in modern theological circles on the land promise, and we're not going to be able to unpack it here. And not just theological circles, but go ahead. The, oh yeah, political circles as well. Oh boy. And now, scandalous topics, Sky. Take it away, man. <laughs> no, what I'm saying is let's just not get caught there. Because whatever this land here that is described is something that Israel never possessed. 
And could it be, and I'm not saying that there is not a physical land promise because I do believe in a physical land promise to the, when you would, and you wouldn't have the Joshua Hebrews. without that. That's right. It's, it's there, it's real, but could there be something here that could be found in Hebrews 11 when it talks about Abraham? Well, in Hebrews 12, since, yeah, Hebrews 12, therefore, since we are receiving a city that cannot be shaken. Right. And so, you have, you have revelation imagery about the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down. It's that earth meets heaven. It's tying you back to early Genesis. Well, it's the opposite also of Babel. Hebrews 11, talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And by the way, they had seen the land. So if it's only the land, this doesn't make sense. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth for people who speak, thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If By the way, thinking, Abraham saw the land from Babylon to Egypt to your earlier point. Go ahead. Right. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared, uh, uh, for them a city. Oh, I'm thinking of Reba Cheap here from, uh, uh, Prince Caspian in the, the further, of the Dawn. Oh, the further um, and higher up thing. Or no, where he's just talking about at constantly reaching out, constantly longing to be in Aslan's country. Uh, yeah. Well, and again, uh, to the, to that same point from Hebrews 11, looking forward to city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God himself. Right. Right. That this is tying in with that revelation imagery. And by the way, the Bible does this. I, I think, you know, and hopefully this makes it a little bit more approachable. I think of Ephesians chapter two, where God speaks of heavenly realities as already being obtained, even if they are not fully experienced yet in real time on earth. Uh, so uh, the whole, um, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, uh, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love, which he, uh, with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together in Christ by grace, you have been saved. Not only that, but what, and raised us up, raised us up. Uh, this is heiress. This is completed action with him and seated us with him. This is also heiress completed action in the heavenly places. Um, so there is this in the one, on the one hand, completed heavenly reality. And, and if all you look at it is the present earthly dimension, you're not seeing the whole picture. And that's kind of what's going on with this promise. I've already given it to you guys, even if you don't see it that way. Mm. Is that fair? Well, you were talking about going off, going off to a, you know, a, a heavenly kingdom. And I, I, it took all my, uh, restraint to not quote Gandalf from Lord of the Rings about white shores and beyond a far green country under a swift sunrise. It's been, it's been almost, you know. 13, 14 episodes since I last mentioned Lord of the Rings. Has it been that long? Yeah. No, I made that up. By the way, has it been that long is also a quote from Hook. I was just doing it again. Sorry. <laughs> oh. 
So I know we've been in Genesis 15 for a long time and Nathan's talked about in previous episodes that, you know, surprisingly, this passage is not preached more. I don't know that in, in hook it's, has it been three days? Sorry, ruined it. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> but no, I, I actually, af, after this deep dive in Genesis 15, I, I agree with Nathan. It, it's crazy that this isn't preached more. So to draw a quote that we've already mentioned once before on the better than fiction Bible podcast to quote at least the most popular, uh, atheist of the 20th, latter 20th and early 21st century, Richard Dawkins, when speaking of the God of the old Testament, you probably remember me saying yeah. 30, 30 or 40 episodes ago is the God of the old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction, jealous and proud of it. A petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, philicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevol malevolent bully. Um, and what hopefully you're beginning to see, because this is a major, major beef that modern people have with the old Testament is that the God of the old Testament is cruel. And what mm. hopefully you're beginning to see is that he is very, very patient, very, very kind, not treating people as their sins deserved. Yeah. Certainly more patient with his enemies than we are with ours. Absolutely. And what history tells us about the abominable practices of the Amorites, child sacrifice, human sacrifice, the insane amount of evil that the Canaanites were perpetrating on each other. And God doesn't just go in and say with here, with Og and Sihon, wipe them out. He offers a peaceful pass through and then they attack Israel. And then God says, okay, their judgment has now come. Hmm. It, I'm just, the way Dawkins frames everything is that it, God is like this, this, you know, vapor of gasoline that at any moment, a small spark creates this massive explosion that at any moment God could just go off like a bomb. That's yeah. And if you, and if you only watch the last 15 minutes of Star Wars, A New Hope, there's just, you know, a small group of people that end up killing hundreds of thousands of people that weren't doing anything on the Death Star. Uh, <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, without, the, without the proper context. That's right. That's it. Man, what a good illustration, Gandalf. Ah, I hope that landed for everybody. I'm contributing. Dude, you always contribute. I hope that. All right. Make sure, make sure we all understand that because I'm afraid some, somebody's not going to catch that. Okay. Uh, if, if they listen to this, they've probably seen Star Wars. I don't know. I'll, I'll explain it just in case. I'm Flesh it out in and Star, then we'll end the episode. In Star Wars, Sorry. the evil empire constructs a Death Star, which is a giant laser that can destroy a planet in a single shot, in which they do so in the, the film. They destroy a planet, innocent people, millions of them die, and the climax of the movie- Alderaan a is small, a peaceful planet. All right, sorry. It, exactly. It, 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 the, at the end of the movie, a small group of rebels piloting their, you know, their barely functioning spacecraft fly in and in a one in a million shot, they're able to destroy the Death Star uh, and save the day. But if you only watch the last 15 minutes, all you see is just a group of, you know, uh, political dissidents show up out of nowhere and then end up shooting, a, sh destroying a space station that has hundreds of millions of people on it. 
killing them all instantly. If you, but if you haven't seen the context that they destroyed Alderaan earlier in the movie, it looks like the rebels are the bad guys. It all depends on where you start. Uh, I quote from one of the greatest movies of all time, uh, Muppet Treasure Island. It's how you look at buccaneers that makes them bad. Okay, Gandalf, uh, you just redeemed yourself because I also love Muppet Treasure Island. That is a good one. <laughs> well, you know it's almost as good as Muppet Treasure Island, and that's the Better Than Fiction Bible podcast, which you can receive. We can only hope. For the low, low price of free every Tuesday morning <laughs> in your subscription box, all you have to do is hit like, subscribe, thumbs up, heart. Whatever platform you're listening, you get a notification. We look forward to you joining us every week as we continue to unravel this narrative and see that maybe some characters have gotten a bad rap, as we've seen in these first 75 chapters. Like some movies. And, yeah. They, mm. And thanks for helping us get to 75. We couldn't have done it without yep. y'all. Yeah. 75, 75 more, and we'll just be finishing up Genesis 20. <laughs> nah. We'll be able But until then, yeah. you have a great week, and we'll see you next time. All right. See you next time. Shalom. Excellent. It's how you look at buccaneers that makes them bad or good. And, and I see us as members of the Noble, Noble Brotherhood. Brotherhood. Hey, ho, oh, oh. ho. Yeah, there it is. All right. Hey, can you edit that part where I uh, said uh, Tim Curry was Captain Hook instead of Long John Silver? Yeah, I'll make you look good. Thank you. <laughs>